Good morning, LifePoint. Great to see you today. Great to worship together. And I uh, just love to hear the Christmas music coming in and seeing the trees. And I love this time of year. And uh, it's a great time with lights and everything else. And, and I want to welcome you. And I welcome also those watching on our live stream. Uh, we got our in-person services growing. We have our live stream continues strong and is, looks like that's growing as well. And also, if you're watching later on via YouTube, uh, we're glad you're worshiping with us uh, today and uh, excited because we're going to begin our new series. We had a series, Mixed Emojis, and we got a lot of good feedback on that. So we're like, you know, hey, let's do, do the Christmas expansion pack. So we're going to do that today and dive into that. But before we do, I just want to remind you of our in-gathering offering that we'll be taking next week on December 12th uh, in both services. And uh, just a little family huddle for a minute or so here. Just uh, want to invite you to be part of that and to uh, help us as we continue to move forward in a, a variety of ministries. In particular, uh, this year's offering, which is a one-time end-of-year offering uh, that we'll be taking will be used for our children and youth space uh, in our downstairs area. Uh, we've done made really great progress with the stage and ceiling and et, et cetera, but we need to get the bathroom squared away and we need an HVAC system and carpeting and furnishings, et cetera, so that the downstairs looks as awesome as the upstairs. And uh, so we really love for you to uh, prayerfully consider uh, being part of that. And uh, maybe for some of you, this in-gathering next week is uh, a chance to maybe begin for the first time tithing or giving 10% of your income to the Lord, to the Lord's work. And, and this is something that the scripture talks about, how God uh, calls us to that and blesses us when we do that. And it's something that uh, I've done since I was 18 years old. I was uh, tithing at that time, and so I was tithing when uh, I had very little and made very little, and when I made more, and then when Denise and I got married, we tithed as a couple, and that happened when we had a good amount of student debt. We had actually a lot of student debt for that time, and, and when we paid it off, we continued to tithe. When we had no kids, and then when we had four kids, two dogs, and a cat, we continued uh, to give through all the different stages of our lives. And, and I can't explain it to you, but I can tell you this, that for 30 plus years, uh, Denise and I have been tithing, and I can't explain it to you, but I can tell you this, that God blesses that tithe. That there's something about it that, that God pours out his favor on us. He takes care of us. He meets our every need. And he multiplies what we give to him. It's not lost, but it's invested in people, in life change, in God's church, in his people. And it changes the trajectory of, of the future for many, many other people. So I really want to uh, challenge you and invite you to, to do that, to maybe tithe if you're not um, doing that because it's going to bless you. I've actually had people over the years, and this is really weird because we don't talk about money every week here. We don't badger. There's no arm twisting, but we do this end of year in-gathering, and I've actually had people over the years come back to me and say, thank you for teaching tithing. I'm like, wow, this is like one in a million that somebody came back and say that, and they said because it was hard, it was a challenge, it was a new mindset, but God has blessed us. 
And exactly as scripture says, because Malachi says it, that bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. That's the place where you receive your spiritual nourishment, where you receive your spiritual food. It's the local church community. Bring your whole tithe into the storehouse and see if I will not open the, the storehouse of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you're unable to contain it. And I can look back over our lives and, and we have been giving and we now autom automate it so we don't even miss it, but it's exciting that we get to be part of something bigger than ourselves to see the world change in a good way, to see the church thrive because of giving. So if you're not tithing, I really want to invite you to experiment with that. Give it a shot. You know, work at that and ask God uh, to, to bless and guide you into this because it can be a real breakthrough in your life when you take that step. For others of you, maybe you're already tithing and practicing, you know, radical generosity. This is an opportunity to give over and above your tithe. And this is something Denise and I are going to do this uh, for the end gathering. We're going to write a check. We're actually going to do it online as we do. We automate it. But we're going to uh, contribute to the end gathering because we really want to be continually stretching to invest in something bigger than ourselves. And that's really what's happening, that every time you give, in this case for the end gathering, not only are you, are you investing in the children and youth of our church so that they can receive a message of hope that will help them and strengthen them and transform them as they navigate an increasingly complex world, but you're helping us beyond that to get a message out to people. And we are influencing now hundreds and really thousands of people as a church because God is doing great things in our church. And we give him all the praise that God has given us a bigger platform, not so that we can benefit, so that it's about us. We say, God, hide us behind the cross. This is about you. And so, God, we want to use this to influence the world for good, to advance good and to see lives changed. And it's happening here. And your contributions make all the difference in the world. And so yesterday I was at the church uh, doing some work and I drove into the parking lot and there was a line of cars in our parking lot all lining up to get food from our food pantry and all kinds of workers from the food pantry just bringing food out and boxes and handing people stuff. And I'm like, man, I just love our church. That's what we should be about, giving and serving those around us. And we have a terrific, terrific team of people that do that. We have a lot of other things happening in terms of uh, the angel tree. We've had, you know, dozens of kids are, have parents who are in prison and they're not going to get anything for, for Christmas. And you stepped up with your generosity to take every angel and we're going to need to do more someday. I don't know, but it's like if you wait two services, you're done. You're not getting an angel. So, you know, because you all step up. And we have Paxton Ministry, 85 residents, that many of whom don't have very much at all. And you can see what's going on out there. Bins and bins and bins of stuff. Keep it coming because that's a very cool opportunity we have as a church. Not, a, not to make things about us, but to use our influence to advance good and to see lives changed. If you weren't here last Sunday, uh, you really missed out because we had our Thanksgiving service and we had our first baptism here in this building and we had seven people tell their story of how God had transformed them 
And it was so amazing to hear those stories. I left last week so encouraged. I know you did too, because this is a powerful moment where this is God working to change the trajectory of our lives. He's done that for me, and I have to keep making sure I'm calibrated, going in the right direction. We all do, and that's the beauty of the church, the beauty of what God is doing here, and we get to do this together. So your investment gives us the opportunity to get a message of hope out to hundreds and really thousands of people. It is a difference maker. And so I'd ask you next week to just prayerfully consider uh, your giving for the in-gathering. And I really thank you for that. And God is going to bless that, and he's going to multiply that, and he remembers it, he notes it, and in the end, you will never regret practicing radical generosity as you advance the kingdom and honor Christ. So that's it on the in-gathering. And today we're transitioning into this new series, and today uh, with mixed emojis, the Christmas expansion pack, I want to talk about the first emoji in the series, which is the snowflake, the snowflake. So how many of you are excited for the first snow? How many of you are like, man, I got the, I got the shovels out, got the snowblower, I got the snowblower fired up, I'm going to do my neighbor's house, I'm going to do Pastor Glenn's house, I'm going <laughs> to do everybody's house. Don't do my house because I'm firing up my snowblower, I'm going to do my neighbor's. Um, how many of you see the first flurries, you know, of the season and you see it out the window and you have to tell somebody, oh, look, it's snowing. How many of you do that? Okay, so in honesty, I do. I do. I saw snow. I saw flurries this past week and Denise was working at home and I'm like, oh, look at that. It's snowing. And she's like, yeah, it's snowing. Okay, great. Goes back to, goes back to work. It's like I'm a 10-year-old kid. Like, but is something exciting about snow. Now, of course, when we say snowflake today, we might worry a little bit because when I told Denise what the first emoji was, she was like, you're doing what? And I'm like, snowflake. And she's like, well, what's that going to be about? I'm intrigued. I said, it's not what you think because we politicize everything today, don't we? Everything is politicized. So now we use this term in a derogatory way to put somebody down whom we believe is super sensitive and easily upset. Isn't that true? Like you call people a snowflake. You're a snowflake. Oh, yeah? You're a snowflake. Oh, yeah, I bet your friends are just a huge pile of snowflakes. Oh, yeah, I bet your Twitter feed is full of this massive mound of big old snowflakes. And you're like, oh, okay. It's like, that's what it means today. If you said, if you called somebody a snowflake years ago, like when I was growing up, they'd be like, are you calling me a, a cluster of, of ice crystals that fall from the sky? What? <laughs> are you calling me an agglomeration of, of snow? And ice that, that crystallizes and, and falls to the ground? I mean, oh, okay, well then, so be it. I accept it. You know, it's like, okay, things change so much. But we're not going that route because there's something else about a snowflake that is powerful both scientifically and spiritually because a snowflake conveys two really amazing things. It conveys both complexity and beauty. We know that a snowflake, uh, as it falls from the sky, takes on the same shape every time. It has six points. But as scientists look at this, and experts with 
regarding weather, they'll, they'll look at this and they'll say, yeah, it has six points, but no two snowflakes are identical. It's like amazing. It's rare if ever you'd have two identical, identical snowflakes because the diversity is incredible. The complexity is amazing. And so we have that kind of piece that comes into play, and yet as it falls and as it accumulates, when it's fresh, it really is really beautiful. It's a really great image for us as we think about the spiritual side of it. Because God's will and plan for our lives is like that too. It is both complex and beautiful too. And the beauty part is, is something we could talk about, but it's the complexity part that's really hard sometimes to get over. It's the complexity part, the mystery of God's will and plan that, that really throws us off and, and can really test our faith. Because we come to these moments in our lives inevitably where something happens to us, a circumstance kind of thrown into it. We didn't see it coming. We didn't predict it. It's the curveball from the heavens. We're like, man, I'm, what's going on here? I, I'm confused. I don't know what to do. It's something we just can't fully make sense of in the moment. It's the complexity and mystery of God's plan and work in the world. And I think when we get to the New Testament, and particularly the birth of Christ, we see that that event itself was full of complexity and also full of mystery. And that's what I want to look at today, particularly this event through the eyes of Mary, because we really don't understand the intensity of this event from her perspective. We gloss over it, we miss it, but there's a lot we can learn from her life as she faces a very uncertain future. And so today, let's uh, open up and take a look at Luke chapter 1, verse 26 through 37. And it says this, in the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. But Mary was greatly troubled at his words. And she wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you're to give him the name Jesus. And he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom, it's never going to end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel. Since I am a virgin, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age and she who was said to be barren is now in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. So here's Mary. Uh, she's a 13-year-old girl about this point. 
She's going about her business. She's living her life. She's got her plans, probably has a to-do list, and she's just kind of doing life, and she gets up like any other day, and all of a sudden, out of the blue, unexpectedly, this angel, Gabriel, appears to her and speaks to her, and, and what happens here, it says that she was greatly troubled. She was greatly troubled, and it speaks of being perplexed, bewildered, and completely confused, like greatly, greatly troubled. This was distressing what was she's hearing, and I think it's twofold. It's, it involves, first, what she sees. Okay, she sees an angel. Now, we think, oh, isn't that cool that you get to see an angel? I'd like to see an angel. Wouldn't that be cool? Actually, these are divine beings. We don't know what form Gabriel came in, if he came in the form of a man or not, but likely he came in the form of an angel in the sky speaking to her. And you can imagine that happening, where this is just not a common event. This is clearly a celestial being with great authority and power, and you can imagine this girl walking down the street and all of a sudden an angel's up in the sky and how blinding that could be. Like just like covering up, and it's like blinding because of the power and the glory that this being was conveying to her. And then on top of that, it, it's likely like dizzying to, to have this moment. It's like, whoa, like you ever have this moment? It's like you're just taken off guard. It's like, it's dizzying. It's like, ah, oh, you could imagine like, I think, I think I'm going down. I think I'm going down. It's like, it's like those goats, you know, the fainting goats. Like if you, you, you boo, boo, and they're like, oh, and they fall on the ground and their legs go stiff. And that's a really awkward thing to do. On, it's on YouTube, but... You know, there's this fainting goat, it gets scared, and boom, it's down. It's like, okay, well, maybe that's there too. And, and to think like, wow, uh, the legs are shaking, the knees are knocking in the presence of something so powerful with such glory. There was no doubt that there was some anxiety you know, in what she saw, but it says here that she was really troubled too by what was said. She was told that she was highly favored, that God was with her, and she's like, listen, I'm, I'm just a, a Jewish girl from a, a backwater town. I don't, I'm a humble girl. I don't really want this attention. I don't want this attention. And then she's told, well, you're going to have a son. You're going to have a child, and, and this child is going to be extraordinary, this child's gonna live a life that no one else has lived. They're going to be messianic. They're gonna actually take a throne. They're, they have a kingdom, and they are a king, and they will be amazing. They will live an unprecedented life. And all of this was just so much for her to take in. She was greatly troubled. And that anxiety and fear then quickly surfaced in the form of a question. Okay, but how can this be? How can this be? How is this even possible since I'm a virgin? It's here that Mary, Mary directly confronts the complexity and the mystery of God's plan and purpose for her life, and she steps back and looks at this and says, this doesn't make sense. 
It's the kind of thing that can happen to us too when life throws us a curveball, when something happens to us that's unexpected, we didn't see it coming, we weren't prepared, and all of a sudden we're like, wow, this doesn't make any sense. We look at this and say, I've lost my job. Why did my marriage crash and burn? Why did I get injured? I can't do the things that I once did. You know, what's going to happen with my future, my finances? I've lost so much. We look at our lives and say, Lord, how can this be? And this fear and anxiety only built for her because of what she says next. How can it be, God? Because, well, it just doesn't happen that way because I'm a virgin. It says here in the Greek that that I know no man. And then there's this important detail that we really miss so easily when we read this story. We gloss over this story so quickly, but there's a detail in this story that explains the intensity of the moment, the intensity of the test that she was about to go through. It's this word that we find in verse 27 that Mary was not just a virgin, but she was a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph. This is super important for us to understand how much pressure this girl was actually under. You see, in the ancient Jewish culture, marriage consisted of two distinct stages. The first stage was the engagement stage, and the second was the official marriage. In this situation, Mary and Joseph are pledged to be married. They're in the engagement stage. And what that basically meant is that the father of the groom and the father of the bride, who are actually the most powerful people in the bringing together of a couple. The couple are not the most powerful. It's the fathers. And the father of the groom is like, you know, I got to get a wife for my son. And so he then enters into a negotiation with the father of a bride so that that girl would then be his son's wife. And he enters into a negotiation, and they're like, yeah, I got some goats, and I got some stuff, and we'll pay a bridal price. I'll give you some things. I got some cash and a pillow, and I'll go, and I'll give that to you, and that way then, if you agree to this bridal price, then we'll enter into a written agreement that you will be engaged officially. You will be a thing, you will be bound together that way. And so engagement began that way. And I just want to pause for a minute and say, if you're married, aren't you glad that you got to choose your own girl, your own guy? Like, I mean, dad didn't do it. Wouldn't that be a little weird? Like, you know, okay, that's weird. Or aren't you glad if you're single that, you know, dad's not talking to you like, hey, match.com, you're done with it. Done with match.com. Because I I met a a guy, you know, who's got a son and you're the girl. And I got, I met a guy who's got a son and uh, he's got goats and stuff. And so you're going to go with them. And you're like, what? No, I don't want to do that. I'm not, I don't exactly want to do that. It's like, man, I'm glad I don't live back in that culture. You get to choose. And I guess we'd adjust, I don't know, but, but here there's uh, this moment where they're engaged, and engagement back then was way stronger than it is today. Today it's like a, a kind of like a, a test, maybe a little bit of a, a more intense trial run of the relationship. Back then it was not. If you were engaged, you were actually called husband and wife, 
This was official. You had a written agreement. This agreement had witnesses. And so the only way to dissolve the engagement wasn't, hey, I'm not feeling it. We're not going to do it. Uh, let's just you know, get, a, get our money back from the wedding venue. No, no, it's way, way tougher than that. You actually had to get divorced or die in order to get out of an engagement because you were considered husband and wife. And yet, at the same time, they did not have sex together during the engagement period, and they lived in separate homes. They lived in separate homes. So it's a very different thing that's happening. And faithfulness was vital. In fact, if either had sex outside of that bound or with another person, unfaithfulness, according to the Old Testament, was punishable by death. Like people picked up rocks and threw them at you because you broke your engagement vow. It was that serious. It wasn't carried out in the New Testament, but it was on the books. It could happen. It was a threat to anybody. And it really, even though that sounds extreme to us, it really speaks of how sacred the engagement period was to the Jewish family and to the Jewish community. Violations of the engagement were absolutely devastating. It could not, could not, happen. And these details are really important because it helps us understand the immense pressure that Mary was under when as a virgin pledged to be married to Joseph, the angel comes along and says, by the way, you're going to have a kid. And she's like, what? No, uh, in that moment, you can imagine, and they're young. She's like 13. He might be 15 or 16 years old. She's thinking, what? is going to happen now. It would have been easy for her to run the worst case scenarios. To say, if that happens, and I break this vow, this commitment, my life is over. My life is completely over. I am doomed. I have no future. Because here's the deal. No one is going to believe me. I'm going to say, yeah, I was walking down the street and this angel appeared and I was blinding and I almost fell over like one of those goats and I was like uh, dizzy and I, my legs were shaking and then all of a sudden they said, you're going to have a child and the Holy Spirit is going to make this happen in a miraculous way and you're going to tell everybody that and you're going to go tell your friends and what are they going to say? Yeah, right. Yeah, it doesn't happen that way. It's never happened that way. You're lying. In fact, you you're, you've been with somebody else. you got something going on the side here. You've had a fling with somebody in town. So we know what's going on. Come on, we're not stupid. You were unfaithful. No one is going to believe a Gabriel announcing a birth story. It just never happens that way. And yet, it's even worse. Because Joseph's going to hear. And when Joseph hears... He's going to want a divorce. In fact, we learn later that he was seriously thinking about it. He's going to want a divorce. I can't be with this, this girl after what she's done to me and to our family, to our name. She's dragged us through the dirt. We can't be together. I'm going to divorce her. Her family would, would disown her. Her family would disown her. Her friends would abandon her. Her community would reject her. And her son would be seen by everybody else as, she, as this boy grew up. Everybody would look at him as an illegitimate child. Look at that, the son of Mary. We don't even know who the father was, but we know this child's illegitimate. So all these worst case scenarios 
really kind of compound in this moment where Mary could have easily thought to herself, if this happens, my life is over. My future is completely destroyed. It could happen to us where when things happen that we don't expect, when life throws us a curveball, when circumstances turn in a very bad direction and we're just damaged, we're taking damage and our dreams are dashed and our hopes have fallen apart, it's easy for us to run the worst case scenarios too, to take this circumstance to the darkest extension we can think of. We can worry, worry, worry about things so badly that, man, we're way off. And it's like our two-year-old son who, who's being selfish and isn't listening to mom or dad. And we're like, they don't listen. And they're going to grow up and they're going to go to school. And the, the teacher's going to talk to them and they're not going to listen to the teacher at all. They're not, they're not listening. And as a result, they're going to do terrible in school. And when they do terrible in school, they're, gonna, they're not going to graduate. And then they're going to leave school and put it all behind. They're going to get in with the wrong crowd. And when they get in the wrong crowd, they're going to start to steal stuff because they don't have any money. And, and as a result, they're going to go to jail. And it's like, no, actually, you're, no, your son just needs to learn to share. That's it. Just teach them to share. And it's like, you know, I lost my job and I'm going to be broke and, you know, I'm, they're going to kick me out of the apartment. I can't afford the apartment anymore. I'm going to have to live in my car. I'm going to, oh man, how am I going to live in my car? But then I'm sitting on a gold mine. It's the only money I have, so I'm going to have to sell the car. I'm going to be homeless. I will be homeless. I'll have to go from homeless shelter to homeless shelter. And you're like, no, actually, no, no. You, you lost your job. Work on your resume. You know, put it on Indeed. You know, but we tend to go to the darkest place imaginable. And Mary, in this moment, could have easily been tempted to do exactly the same. But the question all of this raises is, how did Mary actually respond? What was her response to the mystery, the complexity, the confusion of what was happening in her life? What we learn here is powerful. It's almost shocking. It's mind-blowing because her response is an incredible one coming from a 13-year-old faithful Jewish girl. And we read of this as after she hears of the angel's prediction. She says this, verse 38, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered, May it be to me as you have said. What? What about the Joseph gonna divorce you thing? That's real. That's going to happen. He's not gonna stick with you. What about, you know, the family disowning you? I mean, you just put a stigma on them. They're gonna leave you. What about the community and friends abandon? What? What about all that? Where did that go? You see, Mary actually was young, but she was very smart. Mary was young, but she had a compliant heart towards God, a heart that was inclined to obey him. But Mary also had an asset that, that was so powerful and world-changing and life-changing for her. It changed the trajectory of her future. This one asset that she had 
And it was that she had an incredibly good memory. She remembered a lot of things. She remembered over the years that God had been faithful to her. Didn't live in many years, but she'd seen his hand in her life. She also remembered that God had been faithful to his people over a period of time, many years from generation to generation. God had been faithful to, to her people in the past, and, and she recalled that. She remembered that God was good. She remembered that God was a faithful God. And we read of this and think of this, and we're like, wow, what a powerful thing that she brought into this whole situation that God could be trusted even when she was confused and perplexed and bewildered and unsure that she could still rest her feet firmly on the God she had known from childhood, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And what she does next is also mind-blowing because despite the uncertainty, she actually begins to sing. She sings a song. A few verses later, it's called the Magnificat. And what she sings about is very revealing about her heart and where her strength really resided. We read about this in verse 46. And Mary said, she sang, my soul, in light of all this, I don't get it. I don't understand it. I don't even, I'm not sure I like it. But my soul, despite it all, it glorifies you, Lord. My spirit rejoices in God because you're my Savior. His mercy, it extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. I've seen your mercy play out in my family. I've seen your mercy play out in my community. I've seen your mercy play out through the stories of history. And he has performed mighty deeds. I've seen your mighty deeds, God. I need one now. I don't get it. I, I wish this were a different scenario. It's going to be really hard to work through this. But I've seen your deeds. I remember them. You've scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. You are a God who is just. Those who are proud and arrogant, they're going to be brought low. Those who are lifting up themselves, got the big head, want to control this world and control other people. Man, there's no future for them because, God, you're going to raise up the humble. The humble are going to prevail. Justice will prevail in this world. You're the one who brought down rulers from their thrones. You've lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things. You are a good God. I don't understand this, but, but God, you are good. You have helped your servant Israel, remembering to be faithful to Abraham and his descendants forever and ever, even as he said to our fathers. How can you sing? I want you to think about this. How can you sing? How can we possibly sing when life throws us shade? How can we sing when life throws us shade? We do that by remembering God's faithfulness in the past. It's what Mary sings about. It's what Mary is thinking about. It's what Mary is meditating on. It's what Mary is reciting through her mind as she faces this moment that is just so confusing, mysterious, and complex. And I think what we see here is that we can learn from this young Jewish girl in this moment of intense pressure. 
that our understanding of God's work in the past helps us navigate what we cannot understand about the present. I want you to really think about that. It's our understanding of God's work in the past that helps us navigate what we cannot grasp, what we cannot make sense of, what is confusing about the present. What Mary understood about God came to mind because she had a good memory. She didn't forget. She recalled and she knew that God would take care of her. And I think what this means for us today is that in order to prepare for the challenges that we're going to face, you are going to face challenges. You are going to face difficulties. In order for you to prepare for those moments when life throws you a curveball and does not make any sense, in order for you to, to combat and, and deal with the worst case scenarios that always come into our minds and want to steal your peace and bring you to the darkest place imaginable. In order to do that, we really need to get to know God better. We need to know his word we need to know what he says, that your word is a, is a lamp unto my feet. It's a, it's a light unto my path, God. I need that light because here's the truth. We listen to this person and this person and what culture says and this and that and all these experts. And it's like, we don't listen to God at all. And it's like, we're bumping in the darkness. We're stepping in these potholes. We're like, where do I go? We're bouncing around in darkness. And God's like, I'll give you light. I'll give you light. I'll give you your next step. I'll illuminate your path. You're not going to stumble. You're not going to bump into stuff. I got it. And so we spend time learning his word. We spend time uh, learning the stories of faith. You know, God has done things in the past, and sometimes we're just kind of not knowing about it, not thinking about it. It's like, God, this is new. The first time anybody in the world experienced what I'm going through, it's me. And God's like, actually, I've, I've helped generations and generations of people Work through exactly what you're going through right now. But you need to know the stories. It speaks of the importance of being in this place, in church. Not so that you're a more religious person, but that so you are equipped with a word in season to deal with something that you may have to deal with Tuesday or next Friday. You don't even know about it, but God does. And he's got something to say through his people, through our gathering, through his word, his, his spoken word, his, his preached and taught word on a Sunday. This is not just a routine thing. This is God equipping you with something you're gonna need to navigate the uncertainty you inevitably face. And so making this a priority is a huge, huge deal because we all need to get to know God better. And so I want to encourage you today. I want to challenge you today to make God's word an even bigger priority in your life than it's been before. I want to encourage you and I want to challenge you to, to spend time in his word and, and to learn the stories of faith. Learn about God's faithfulness in the past. I, I want to encourage you. I want to challenge you to, to allow God to, to give you peace so that the worst case scenarios don't corrode your faith or steal your joy. And when you do this, when you do this, be ready because God is going to meet your needs. God is going to give you strength so that you don't slip and fall. 
He's gonna give you the ability to maintain your steadiness in the course of this, this difficult path you're on so that you don't give up your faith or to go into those dark alleys. And maybe, just maybe, like Mary, one day, God is gonna give you a song, a song that you're gonna be able to sing even though life has thrown you some shade. Let's pray.